0: Hey, everyone, I'm Britt, and welcome to Educate Me, a podcast where we share stories of surviving and thriving in graduate school. This week, I chat with Dr. Krishana Sankar, a recent graduate of the Department of Physiology and Experimental Medicine at the University of Toronto. Krishana is also the creator of the online graduate student community, Grad right Slack. We chat about overcoming isolation, dealing with competition, and defending her dissertation on Zoom. All right. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure, thanks so much for having me, Britt. Uh,
1: My name is Krishana Sankar. I have recently finished my uh, PhD from the University of Toronto in the Faculty of Medicine and the Department of Physiology. Uh, my PhD has been in diabetes research, more specifically molecular and cellular biology, and I've had the privilege of combining it with bioengineering techniques in my project. I'm also a founder of several initiatives, one being GradWrite Slack, which is the group in which I met Britt. So thank you so much for having me, Britt. Um, so, GradWrite Slack is an academic support writing environment that is all virtual and done via uh, Slack. We have several different writing sessions throughout the week um, in different writing uh, time zones. And currently, we've got over 700 uh, members from all across the world, which is really um, oh, wow. fascinating. Yeah, yeah, really fascinating and fun. Um, and I quite enjoy seeing all the moderators um, facilitate all the writing sessions that happen throughout the week and all the camaraderie and support within the group. That, for me, has been amazing. So that's uh, one of the things that I'm part of, and I've also founded a few other initiatives uh, to deal with minority, um, highlighting minorities within Canada, within the STEAM fields, so science, tech, engineering, art, math, medicine. And also, um, I've done uh, work, well, I'm currently doing work with a COVID-19 initiative called um, COVID-19 Resources Canada, and I'm the communications lead and the operational strategist for that initiative.
0: Wow, so you're you are very busy.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am very <laughs> I am very busy, but I do like it that way. I, I do quite enjoy being busy.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I get that comment all the time too. Um but as I hear you talking, there's so many things I want to ask you about. Um, but first of all, so you're at the University of Toronto. Uh what made you want to pursue your PhD at the U of T? So for
1: me, I well it all started um with my undergrad. So I wanted to pursue undergraduate studies at U of T. And so I'm originally from Guyana, which is a country in South America. And back there um, I did all my primary schooling and my high school. And then I moved over to Canada after finishing, I think that's grade 11 equivalent over in Canada. Yep. So I moved over here. And um, when I was looking into universities and what the programs offered, At the time U of T was known to be one of the best schools for science. And so I've always been interested in science uh, from a really young age. So U of T was my gold standard for schools in terms of undergrad. So I applied there and I got in and I did my undergraduate education there. And that's also when I started to get interested in research. So I was first introduced to research, I think after first yeah, around first year. And um, yeah, it was amazing because I had several opportunities, uh, research opportunities in undergrad. So I've worked in like an insect physiology lab, then I worked in a mouse stem cell lab, then I worked in a human stem cell lab. And so from all of those really amazing opportunities, I then just really enjoyed research, wanted to continue. And what was essentially graduate school. So without really thinking about a career down the road, I just continued to go with my passion of research. And once again, when looking into applying to different programs for um, for research opportunities, I loved my experiences so much at U of T that I started to look at U of T. And there were a few labs I already had in mind that I wanted to work in and a few areas that I knew that I was interested in. But then this opportunity came and it was kind of left field for me because I was always interested in heart and cardiovascular type research, but I ended up in a diabetes lab. And, but that was more so because, um, well, yes, number one, there is a link to that and, and my family, like there's diabetes in my family, mm-hmm. but even more so because the lab was interesting because of the fact that I grew. Combine like biology and engineering which is something that um, I didn't you know like none of my other colleagues had that opportunity at the time that I knew of uh, to do and I thought this would be amazing and it also helped me stand out but I'm also a learner I love learning so that gave me the opportunity to learn something else that I didn't have in my rep- or from my background
0: yeah and yeah. that's one of the reasons why um, I chose the lab that I chose at U of T Well, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, you answered my question. I was going to ask you as well. Um, what led you to diabetes research? Um, because one thing, like in the social sciences, I always joke that like you ask someone what their research is, and then you get like a glimpse into their their own personal story. And so, do you feel that um, having a family history of diabetes led you to that more, or it was more serendipitous? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think for me,
1: it was. Probably a combination of the fact that there is a lot of um, cases of diabetes in my family so especially on my father's side Mm -hmm. and um, so that was part of it but I think the bigger part of it was the fact that I would get this really cool opportunity to do research that I had never done before outside the realm of what I was used to like to me being able to combine different fields and having collaborations with engineers um you know I I kind of feel like an engineer by association right (laughs) so uh, you know I managed to do a lot of very cool things and and work with these cool devices to do this research which you know really that just kept me interested all the time as as frustrating as it has been (laughs) it was it was still very very interesting and something that I you know it's like continually challenging yourself which is something that's very important for me in general like I I've always got to be challenged I've always got to have the interest in whatever it is I'm doing otherwise if that falls by the wayside then I'm no longer interested in working in it and then it becomes a chore so I've got to be constantly passionate about the thing so yeah I would say it's a combination a little bit of combination of the fact that there was Um, diabetes in my family, but then more so having this opportunity to do
0: something very different. That's awesome. So you mentioned frustrations in graduate school. Uh, So what for you has been the biggest challenge of graduate school? Oh, where do we start?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So graduate school on the whole was extremely challenging to say the least. Um, definitely one of my, my most challenging um, experiences in my um, academic professional life. There are several things, but I think for me the main thing which actually led me to create GradWrite Slack was not so much the science itself and and the frustrations of experimentation, sometimes feeling isolated, which I was able to overcome by you know, being far more social on my lab floor um, with other lab colleagues outside of my own lab and, you know, doing all the other extracurricular things that I did, I mean, those things did help with, you know, that feeling of isolation we tend to have in graduate school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then also like that lack of support and um, sometimes having difficult relationships uh, with um, colleagues and employers, um, is another really important piece that I know we uh, we sometimes speak about but I think we need to talk more about um, within that within the academic realm is the fact that many students have difficult um, student supervisor relationships they feel a lack of support within not only their labs or or, or their um, you know their student supervisor relationship, but then also within their departments and within their faculties and within their schools, which is very, very, um, you know, it's very challenging for students when everyone comes from different backgrounds and have different issues going on beyond um, the ivory tower itself. So for me, it would be that, like those things were some of my most challenging and frustrating parts of graduate school is how feeling that lack of support the lack of understanding, uh, feeling unheard, and feeling alone as a student and not having allies and advocates. Um, And so that was part of the reason why, actually, no, it's a big reason why I need to, um, creating Grad Rights slack. And so that was, of course, combined with a personal story of, so during my journey, like I mentioned there was a period of time that, you know, there's several aspects of my life that were challenging at the same time. Right. And because of that, it led me to um, have to take a an academic break. So I took an academic leave of absence. And then within that time, when I came back now, although, you know, as we all know, within graduate school, we don't necessarily start and finish with a specific cohort because it doesn't right. work like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah.
1: But what happens is we still, you know, we still create friendships within our times. And and sometimes, most times we finish, you know, within within the time of, you know, our colleagues. Um, But for me, because I had taken this leave, that wasn't the case. And then quite a few of my colleagues had left and the environment had changed drastically. And so now I had come back to start writing up my thesis and to finish and to leave. And I was met with a situation where, you know, I no longer knew the people around. Um, there was a lot of new people, meant cultivating new relationships, but this wasn't exactly the time for that, because now I w- had to be busy writing. Right. And I was looking for support systems, you know, support in writing and um, needing to work from home, if possible, um, and having that sense of community, which I wasn't finding, um, especially in a remote environment. And so I remember reaching out to people online, like on Facebook and on Twitter, asking had been groups formed and if I could join a group, and eventually finding none. And so I said, you know what, I will just start a Slack group. And I started that. I started inviting people. And very quickly after attending a few other writing sessions with other groups, I was then inviting people to mine and very quickly started to grow. And I was actually quite surprised to be honest um how much it did grow and then I realized it's actually I I strongly feel it's a gap that it's filling right because there's a lot of people who for whatever reasons need to work remotely um and they don't have that kind of writing support or even peer support um otherwise especially in a remote environment yeah absolutely Yeah when, yeah, when I created it and people started joining, I really started to feel a sense of community again. That's something I had lost. And I was so happy to start to feel that again. I felt like I started to create relationships again with people. And these are people like all over the world, different, like I mentioned before, like different time zones, people doing different things, like you yourself are a social scientist. And so, you know, it's it's nice to know that, you know, I can be writing in an environment where it's not necessarily just all, you know, basic uh, scientists, Um, people in the lab at the lab bench I mean which I do love of course being in that company but it's nice to also have people from you know other disciplines involved as well and so that in creating that I now found this community again I felt less isolation I felt heard a lot of us are sharing our struggles as well which is another thing that I love about my Slack group is that this group has been amazing in and I wanted to create that too, right? Like I wanted to show people that I can be vulnerable and open up because I wanted people to f- feel safe to do the same. And um, and that's what I've noticed is people have started to feel safe to open up. Like I would open up about difficulties I'm going through. People would open up as well. And we would sort of like crowdsource advice and information, which is another really cool aspect of the group. And so, yeah. so yeah. So, you know, the the frustrations that I have faced and the challenges I faced primarily because of, difficult relationships or unsupportive environments I like I then took it upon myself to find a way that will help me but then
0: very fortunately has been able to also help others as well yeah and I think one thing like I found the group through Twitter initially right um and yeah through Twitter I've been able to meet I mean well the grads uh Right slack group but also researchers in my field in other countries mm-hmm. um it's a pretty incredible tool and but one thing i love about yeah the grad write slack is that people are vulnerable like one of my favorite channels is the uh the rants because <laughs> i you then like and i'm sure you felt this too the the need to be perfect in, exactly in graduate school and they need to be publishing all the time, and the need to uh, have a perfect grade point average, and all these sorts of things. And then here's a space where we can just be real. And exactly. I think, yeah, and I think like having the different disciplines has also really helped that like I found for me, uh, when I first started graduate school, my master's, I very much only hung out with people in education. And sometimes it could get fairly competitive, like not, not explicitly competitive, but you know what I mean, where it's like, you, you're aware of what you share and what you don't share because you know that you're competing for the same scholarships you're competing for the same awards and all that's that. so true yeah and then yeah and but then when you meet people who are in other disciplines you all have the shared experience of graduate school um but there's not that same sense of competition so you can be much more open That is so true, actually, and that—that's a great point. Um, And I think what you said right
1: there hit the nail on the head. And that's perhaps why this, yeah, this particular community felt so welcoming to me. Like you know, like the the space that I like, I tried to create a certain kind of culture in the space that has been maintained, which I've been so fortunate about because I was I've been looking at the you know the culture in there, and hoping that it never you know starts to become exactly that competitive or or nasty or or any uh, any sort of negative way and I think it's because of that like it, it feels like we remove the competition from it and everyone is just sharing their um you know their commonalities and the similarities of the different difficulties they go through but even when we share our successes you know everyone can be genuinely happy for the other person because you don't feel like you're yeah. directly competing with them right um, yes. yeah that, that's that's so very true what you said, yeah.
0: Yeah, like in my first year masters, I had um, uh, someone who I thought was a friend. Uh, and But because we're in the exact same program, we had the same supervisor. We were competing for the same awards. And I got uh, one award and they got a different one that they felt was not as good. And when I tried to congratulate them on, the, on it, the response was, oh, it's, it's just a stupid second place runner-up prize. And I was like, what? Like, you're getting free money. <laughs> like All free money is good. Um, yeah. But clearly there was some animosity there in terms of, well, like, you you did better and, and a sense of competition that I hadn't felt before. And that, like, that experience made me very wary because then, like, the friendship was never really repaired after that either. It was very much, I think, they – they saw me as a, a competitor instead of a friend, unfortunately. And yes, so, that is very true. Yeah, and so then, like, with other people, I have other friends who, like, we very much are competing, but we're able to handle that together and able to, to support each other in it despite that sense of competition. Um, but... Sometimes you can't. And so but then, yeah, uh, later on in my more so in my PhD, I got to know more people in other disciplines. And then there's just there's no competition because you're competing for different awards or different publications and all that. Exactly. No, what you said is it's very
1: true. And I've actually experienced the same things that you're talking about. And and it happens. And like you said, but, you know, it, it's, it's difficult because sometimes it's Well, no, actually all the time. It's based on the other person's personality as well, right? Yeah. Um, So, you know, how that person will view things, but then it doesn't necessarily help that academia sort of um, promotes and perpetuates the, you know, culture of competitiveness. And that's not like, like competition to me doesn't have to be a negative thing or a negative word, but then it depends on how, people are viewing it and their perspective of okay well you're my competitor right in a negative way versus like you mentioned your other group of friends who were although you were competing for the same award you were able to look past that right you're like okay that's fine you know we were competing for the same award but you are able to maintain the friendship that you had
0: yeah yeah and uh, like i've seen it too like i've seen professors speak to each other about oh uh like shirt grants that they're, uh, both competing for. And it's so interesting to watch that interaction because they're like, they're, they're being collegial, but at the Mm -hmm. same time, you can tell that they're like trying to suss each other up and see like, Oh, what's your project? And, and it's, it's really funny, but I think you're, what you're talking about too, is that competition can push us to be better. Um, Mm -hmm. like I, uh, for a few years I was competing in dragon boat racing and we always wanted to be faster than the person beside us. Even if like in the initial heats, it's just to get uh, your own time and then you're ranked by times. But we always wanted to be in a heat with people better than us because we knew that would push us to be faster. Exactly.
1: And that is a great, that is exactly it. And once again, I think that comes back to personality, right? Like some people are some people will look at challenges that way. Like I, at least I think that I do in general, I am like that. I like to push myself. I like to be better. Um, so I would like to know, especially if it's like, you know, something I'm genuinely trying to grow in um, and I, and there is nothing that I have to lose um, by doing that. I will put myself in those situations where um, I am putting myself against people I think, are better than me, or, you know, a higher level than me, because I want to get to that level, Um, and so, but not everyone thinks that way, right, unfortunately, so sometimes within an academic environment, of course, we've got a vast array of um, personalities um, (laughs) within academia, although, you know, a lot of people will think, well, you know, academics are stereotypically X, Y, or Z, you know, that we're, like, boring people without personalities and all we know to do are be analytical <laughs> you know like oh we're just critical analytical objective beings because we're not human right
0: um so yeah. you know
1: the <laughs> the fact that we are actually human with lots of different personalities you know will you know some people will be fine with competition and be able to look at it more objectively than others and and that's just the
0: yeah um, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. But you're so right. Like that, that environment within grad right slack, even since like it, I would say it definitely seemed to explode a bit when mm-hmm. uh, we were all suddenly working from home. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was a little worried that yes, like, will yes. the culture shift or mm-hmm. will it be too busy uh, mm-hmm. and too many posts and all that sort of stuff. But, and definitely at first there was like kind of a flurry of activity. Um, mm-hmm. but it seems that everyone's, Kind of settled in and folded into the culture really well. So it's yeah, that's right. Yeah. A very supportive community. Yeah,
1: yeah. I have to say, I, I am very proud of that because culture to me is really important, especially from my previous experiences. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I've been in situations where the culture was toxic mm-hmm. to run. So it was really important to me that if I am ever in a position that I'm creating something or leading something. That I never, as much as it's in my control, um, never foster or you know perpetuate a, a negative or toxic type of culture. Anything that I do, especially because I've had that personal experience. So I have been really happy to see you know graduate right, slack maintain it. And what you said right there, especially because of COVID 19, right? Because of the lockdown um, and quarantining for people all over the world. Yes, there was you know sudden influx and I was monitoring that very carefully because of the same reasons you said Mm -hmm. I didn't want the culture to shift I didn't want you know I wanted and I wanted and and even within grad Slack, of course there are going to be lots of different personalities we don't know but the thing is I think once people are seeing that's in there they will figure to themselves whether it suits them or not whether they'll be active or not and then how you know they will interact with people in the group And so I've been really happy and proud to see how uh, you know how it's managed to maintain that kind of supportive culture.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I really like about too is that I'm in and out all the time. Like some weeks I'll be really active, and then like (laughs) I don't post anything. Right. Um, right. And it doesn't matter. Like there, like that community's there, whether like I haven't posted in three weeks or I haven't participated in in one of the palm sessions in a few weeks. Uh, but I come back in and oh, there's there's names I recognize and, and, and connected with on different channels and whatnot. So um, that kind of uh, the community like ebbs and flows around, I think, individual needs as well, which is really exactly.
1: Exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And and what you said there is another thing that I do like about it is, is that I think it's the continuity of it. And as much as, you know, there are people coming and going because, you know, it, it's dependent on people's needs. Mm-hmm. um, you know, the moment you're out and you come back in, you know, if you do, it's it's the same thing with me, right? Like I, there was like a bunch of people who had left, you know, when I was on leave. And then when I came back, it was new people and you have a different feeling, right? But if there's always someone like constant that like you knew from before or something, or you start to create like new interactions with someone, you know, that familiarity makes you feel really, you know, it makes you feel good. You feel at home. You don't feel strange coming back into the space. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Now, I also want to ask you about your defense uh, and your experience with your defense because you defended via like distance. Um, Mm I'm not sure which platform you use, but you can tell us about that. Uh, And a lot of people are going through that right now. So, um, can you give a little description of like what that was like for you, maybe how you prepared to defend virtually? Um, And then, if you have any tips for people on that yeah definitely. And so that's a good question. So, yes, I
1: defended via Zoom mm. um, in the end, but initially, the plan was for me to defend via Microsoft teams. so oh, okay. that 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 an experience in itself was is something to talk about. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't particularly disruptive, but it is good to know, um, I think for students to know that, there's well, I think we all know there are several platforms that are available to you, and um, depending on your supervisors or your supervisory committee or your department or your university, uh, you know, a preferred platform to use. Yeah, yeah. Now, for obvious reasons, Microsoft Teams, or maybe I shouldn't say obvious reasons, but Microsoft Teams tends to be more secure. Uh, than zoom because I've seen a lot of people on Twitter talking talking about getting Zoom bombed. Yes. Right? And so no yeah. one wants to get Zoom bombed during their defense. No. Um, you know, it's, yes. it's you know you're you have enough anxiety as it is. You don't need an added layer of anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So with uh, Microsoft Teams, there's that added layer of security and protection, which is why um, my supervisor wanted me to use Microsoft Teams. So having We had, um, like I did a couple test runs on the platform with my lab members. And, you know, that all seemed to go fine up until the week prior to my defense when my supervisor was setting that up with all my um, members, my defense uh, committee members. And then there were a few professors who, for one reason or another, were unable to either get onto Microsoft Teams or unable to use it. And so for that reason, I had to then switch to Zoom. And so this, mind you, was like the Friday before and my defense was on the Tuesday. And now time, it wasn't like it happened like immediately or anything like that, but within that short space of time, there's enough nerves and anxiety going on that, you know, you just don't want to know that anything's changing and switching on you even like over a weekend. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Even though, you know, like I said, there was time, I still got a little bit anxious about it. Um, and so I, cause I saw the email thread communication between my supervisor and, and the, um, defense committee members uh, saying that okay now we'd have to switch to Zoom. Now Zoom I have been very familiar with for a very long period of time because pretty much everyone and everything that I've been involved with has been using Zoom so that wasn't so much the problem as trying to figure out now okay so you know uh, for some um, committees they do like the students will virtually have to leave the room and then come back into the room. Um, So I'm not sure about, you know, your university or or others, but that's typically how we do it at U of T, at least within within my department. And since they're at first, they ask the student to leave, and then the student rejoins, you have your, you know, defense, and then they ask the student to leave again, you know, they make their decisions, and then you come back in the room. So all those things to be done digitally and virtually is important that it's set up ahead of time. Right. So that was a little bit of my experience, but then more particularly, so in terms of like tips that I would give, um, I would say to ensure that you know all these things ahead of time, like it's really important to be set up for it and to be prepared for a lot of different scenarios of things. So, you you know, know your platform, platform are you know will you be using be familiar with that platform like know the different features and functions that you will need to use on that platform because each platform is unique Um, you know like I mentioned the leaving of the room and the coming back into the room like that will be done one way on Microsoft Teams versus on Zoom it's going to be done another way so know and understand that Um, practice practice on the platform so do it with your supervisor so that they are familiar with it as well as you and if you are fortunate to have other people be invited. So mine, for example, was private. So U of T, we do defenses privately. So I was unable to invite anyone to help me, for example, with any kind of logistics. So that had to be right. done by my supervisor. And so that's why it's important that you know that as well. Like if you are unable to invite others and you don't have an open defense, you have a closed defense that your supervisor is the one, like, between you and your supervisor, you figure out who's dealing with logistics, right? Yeah. So my supervisor was the one dealing with, you know, you know, uh, the room situation of waiting, getting me out and into the room virtually and things like that. Um, also, yeah, the practicing and also practice with others. Um, if you're having an open defense, have someone really be there to, um, The logistics of an open defense, I think, are even a little bit more important because you need to ensure that if you have other people joining, they are on mute. They're, you know, they are kept on mute. Um, You know, someone is dealing with the chat function. You know, you don't, you know, if you don't want people to be, you know, sending um, questions throughout your talk, you kind of ask people to leave the questions for the end. Yeah. um, You know, things like that. Um, I think also what's important is to have your so what something that my supervisor did, and I don't know if others have done this, but I think it's important. And that's actually how we knew that we had to switch to Zoom was to make sure that they find out for, um if they are familiar with the platform, right? And yeah. then actually have like a practice run with those people on the platform. So if that's not done by you, because uh, at U of T, the, the student's not supposed to have any contact with the committee. Yeah. Um, let, ensure that your supervisor is the one doing that with your committee, right? Have them do that run through prior. And if you know possible, at, m- I would say minimum, at least the week before, because you don't want to be in a situation where, you know, you're coming in and then pe- everyone's having technical issues, trying to connect, being unable to connect and not knowing what to do. Yeah. Um, another tip I would say too, is that it is technology and you more than likely will have some challenges so be prepared for that so for example um, something that happened to me but thankfully it didn't happen during the defense was 30 minutes before my defense my internet just went out
0: oh no and
1: I, at that point I literally had to say you know whatever happens happens at this yeah. point you know um, I was not prepared for that kind of situation and we may not all be privileged enough to be able to hook up and think up our phone's Wi-Fi to our computers or yeah. switch to our phones, right? Because, you know, if you have a certain phone plan, you may not be able to, you know, you know, afford, you know, the surcharges, of, Oh yeah. you know, now streaming through your phone's Wi-Fi, right? Um, so that is something I, I don't know if um, I would have been forced to do. But um, thankfully, what happened is, like, I would say... 10 or so minutes for my defense, my internet came back on. <laughs> and so I, you know, I thought in, in those first 20 minutes, I just said to myself, well, if I can't do it today, I can't do it today. Like, you know, there, yeah, was, nothing, yeah. you know, there was nothing else I could have done, to be honest. Um, I didn't, I, I didn't even think about um, trying to stream from my phone. But it was funny, because after the fact, someone did tell me, oh, no, you could have done that. But then I was also thinking about it from a, you know, a, a cost perspective you know would I have been able to stream from my phone for like two two and a half hours you oh, know it yeah. would costly. I don't know you know so so things like that are um and so have a plan in case something like that happens right if you have if you're having connectivity problems yourself or other people um are having connectivity problems um have a plan of you know do you have like a phone-in number do you have like an alternative um platform to use Um, And so things like that were discussed and sent out in an email prior. Um, And not to keep it too long, but another um, tip was, so I actually, what I did is I downloaded my PowerPoint as a PDF and I sent it out prior to my defense. Now I know that's not Um, you know, via video and and, and seeing my screen being shared, that they would still have my um, PowerPoint in front of them, you know, and they'll be able to go through it as they listened and say if they called in via phone or something. So those are a a couple of the things that I would say people should really do, especially for a virtual defense um, that made it, Uh, important for me oh and then of course there were ground rules and things like that in the beginning just kind of going through oh you know like you know my supervisor going through like how things will be done how things will be run um you know like and then basic things like the question answered periods which I mean will be those are things that you do in real life anyway Yeah,
0: Um, yeah but yeah so yeah those would be some of the tips that I would give for a virtual defense that is super helpful. Um, thank you for going through all that because I know a lot of people are feeling really anxious about it, um, and I've seen questions about it pop up on other Facebook groups I'm part of and all that sort of stuff. So um, that's really helpful. Uh, and yeah, I think sometimes we just assume, oh well, like we can do, like we can ask questions in Zoom. So the questions will be question period will be the same, but uh, it's much harder to read cues of who has a question, who doesn't have a question, or um the ordering because we all appear on each other's video screens in a different order <laughs> so uh having to decide oh whose order like who will um set the order and things like that so yeah that's uh, true actually yeah 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 it's come up in uh in other meetings where we're doing introductions and it's like oh we'll go down the list and literally <sighs> list appears differently for everybody so yeah it's uh that it's like up to one person to say okay so and so next or in other meetings we started like okay once you're done you have to nominate somebody else to speak and that sort of stuff so um things that are coming up in in regular meetings are happening too but uh but yeah and uh but i assume you did not get zoom bombed in the end no i didn't thankfully and so that's the other thing um i mean as
1: as secure as you possibly can um so the only thing I mean what we did is like my supervisor created the meeting yeah and um of course only shared it with us shared the link with us and so that was it and yeah no I wasn't zoom bombed I guess also too because I didn't you know it wasn't something that I shared widely at all and that was primarily especially because I could not invite people and it had to be a close defense
0: yeah Yeah, that's what I've seen a lot is that it's, uh, I've, this entire time, I've only been in one uh, workshop that was Zoom bombed. And it was one where the direct link was shared quite widely and could just be found on the internet. Uh, And so, yeah, don't do that. (laughs) Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been uh, really great to to finally chat with you and get to know you a little bit better. Uh, we see each other in the Slack channel, but <laughs> but it's really nice to finally meet you virtually. Uh, yeah. And thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us and and your wisdom with us. And yeah, can't wait to uh, learn from you more through through the Slack channel and uh, and as I follow you uh, virtually. Thank you so much for having me. This, this is an amazing initiative, and uh, I wish you the best of luck. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Educate Me. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A huge thank you to our audio producer, Sean Paris. Join us again next week for more stories of surviving and thriving in graduate school. Until then, stay in school.